Now, at the back end of uh, 2019, Claire and I uh, enjoyed the, the TV, BBC TV drama Strike, which is based on the crime drama novels of a Robert Galbraith. Now, Galbraith's first novel was called The Cuckoo's Calling, and it was turned into the first uh, season of this particular TV drama Strike. Uh, and the book was released in 2013, and it received generally positive reviews, but it experienced very modest sales. So here's some of the sales figures. For the first three months after the book was released, it sold only 8,500 copies worldwide in the first three months. In the week of the 7th of July, 2013, this book sold only 43 copies total during that week, 43 copies. And it was lying 4,709th in the book list of Amazon best-selling books. But then on the 14th of July, the week of the 14th of July, 2013, this book saw a 41,000% increase in sales. It sold 17,662 copies just in that week. Okay. And it shot from 4,709th 4, on the Amazon bestseller list to number one. How? how? How did that happen? How does a debut novel from a chap called Robert Galbraith suddenly jump nearly 5,000 places on the Amazon bestseller list and triple its total sales of the first three months in just one week? Well, it's because it was revealed that Robert Galbraith was a pseudonym for J.K. Rowling of the Harry Potter fame. And so the difference between Galbraith and Rowling was only a name and a reputation. When it was marketed under Robert Galbraith, when no one knew who he or she was at the time, it didn't sell very well. People didn't, they judged it okay. But as soon as they knew it was JK Rowling's work, it shot to the top of the bestseller list. And this story reminds us that all of us as human beings, we make judgments, we evaluate things using a diverse web of standards that we've woven together through the course of our lives to judge various things. We fancy ourselves as amateur or maybe even semi-pro armchair critics who have a accurate kind of clear-eyed assessment on everything from food to films, from sports to social media, from pop music to politics. And we are especially fond of judging people. We might not be very good at it, but we're especially fond of judging people. Who hasn't played that game when you sit in a cafe and you watch the people go by and you guess who they are or who they're with or what they're doing? We love watching and judging people. And the result is that there are those that we look up to and there are those that we look down on. And we are also prone to judge ourselves. We somehow managed to hold together a, a kind of a, an overinflated self-evaluation while simultaneously holding this kind of gnawing suspicion within our hearts that we don't measure up in the eyes of others and that one day we'll be exposed as an imposter. Now today's passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is God's grace to us for it calls us to give up the charade of judging others by asking us to evaluate our own evaluation skills and the criteria that we use. So let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter this morning. This is what God has to say through the words of the Apostle Paul. 
This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favour of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honour, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labour working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, and I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will soon come to you if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? God's word to us. Well, verse one infers that the Corinthians, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, Verse 1 infers that the Corinthians were judging Paul and they had pronounced on him as a man and as a minister of the gospel a verdict that doesn't match up to the standards of worldly wisdom and power that they were using to judge everything. And Paul declares in verse 1 that their view of him and his companions is totally and utterly wrong. Now, what is his response going to be towards those who have misjudged him? We already said last week that verse 18 is the most confrontational words 
in the, gospel, in the uh, letter, in the epistle so far. So how's he going to respond? How do you and I respond when we're misjudged? Do we wallow in self-pity? Are we devoured by bitterness? Do we attack those who judge us and hit out against those who, uh, who have done ill to us? Do we seek revenge? Well, if you look at verses 14 to 21, Paul provides the answer for us because he tells the Corinthians and he tells us that he is their father in the faith and they are his beloved children. His goal is not to shame them, but to admonish them. He loves them and he wants to see them repent. He wants to see reconciliation and restoration, both in his relationship with them and in their relationship with God. Verses 14 to 21 remind us, uh, well, they give us a, a refreshing example of how to deal with difficult situations in a godly way. So his, his tone is firm, but warm and affectionate. Now, what does he have to say to them? Well, I think the best way to understand and organize our thoughts this morning is under two headings. The first one is this, a bad evaluation. And the second one, a better evaluation. So that's how we're going to organize ourselves and proceed uh, with uh, our sermon this morning. And the first point or the first heading in which we're going to explore this passage is a bad evaluation, a bad evaluation. If you look again with me at verses one to five, we're given a window into the kind of evaluation that the Corinthians were using on Paul and his companions. We get an idea of the criteria that they were using to judge him. And we see from these few verses that bad evaluations arise from, firstly, premature judgments. Look at verse five with me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes. So it seems like the Corinthians were making snap and hasty judgments about Paul and his companions before the correct time before having all of the relevant and the necessary information to make an accurate and informed and a fair assessment. They were making premature judgments. That's part of what happens uh, that results in bad evaluations. We make premature snap and hasty judgments before the correct time, before we've got all the facts. But that wasn't the only thing that was leading to bad evaluations. They, were also, they also had know-it-all attitudes. So they were making premature judgments and they had know-it-all attitudes. The Corinthians fancied themselves as the super spiritual elite of the day. And we see Paul rebuke them in verses 8 to 10. He uses irony and sarcasm to try and warn the Corinthians of the perils of the pride of their own hearts that they seem so ignorant of. And so there's a lot of irony and sarcasm here. And so in verse 8, he says, already you have all that you want. You're rich, you're kings, you're ruling, you're wise, you're strong, you're worthy of honor. The Corinthians really genuinely believed that all of the blessings of heaven had already come down to them in the here and now, that they already possessed everything. The posh Bible word for it is that they had an over-realized eschatology. They saw what God was going to do in the end times on that final day, and they thought that they had it all now. And this belief fueled their superiority complex that they enjoyed, and it led to them living a kind of a superior, super-victorious Christian life where they looked down on others. They thought they had it all and they thought that because they had it all it made them know-it-alls when it came to judging Paul and his companions. 
So Paul spotted this prideful trait when he tells them in verse 5 to stop making bad evaluations because there are certain things that they nor we can see or know. He tells them that when Christ comes, he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. So there's things right now hidden in darkness. And Christ will also disclose the purposes of the heart. Now, this is more than just saying that there are two sides to every story, although that is certainly true. But what Paul is encouraging the Corinthians is you can't make judgments now because there are certain things, certain internal thoughts, certain attitudes and heart motivations that lie beyond, um, uh, behind outward actions, that lie behind outward appearances of others that we simply poss- impossibly, it's impossible for us to know. We simply cannot know these things and we shouldn't deceive ourselves into being know-it-alls and passing bad evaluations on others. So don't make premature judgments, don't be a know-it-all. And then third thing that that leads to bad evaluations is that we have short-lived and limited perspectives. Again, in verse 5, it implies that the Corinthians were basing all of their evaluations on Paul on the here and now, on what they saw outwardly in the temporal, performance-based, immediate results that they were seeing. And they were relying on these things, the outward results, the temporal, performance-based fruit that they saw, rather than on the fully revealed, lasting evidence that gets God's attention. Bad evaluations usually arise from self-appointed authorities, from know-it-alls, from self-appointed authorities who possess limited knowledge on situations, who proudly pronounce premature judgments from positions of restricted perspective, but they believe that their opinions are those that really hold weight and truly matter. This is what the Corinthians were doing. They were trusting in worldly wisdom and they elevated their own self-importance and opinions to the highest place. And they thought that they knew better than God. They thought that they could make better judgments than God. But Paul would say to them and he would say to us, listen, every time you try and usurp God's role as judge, we simply bear testimony to our own sinful pride. And it's sinful pride that destroys churches because it creates rivalry, disunity, and division. And so I think Paul would ask us a question this morning. How then do we evaluate others? What are the criteria that we use? Are the judgments that we make on others based on their pedigree, their style, their position, their influence, their power, their status, their intelligence, their outward results, whether successes or failures, The possessions they have, the personality that they have, their appearance, their popularity, their abilities, their moral virtues. Are these the categories that we use to judge others? He would also ask the question, where, not if, but where are we guilty of pronouncing premature judgments from positions of restricted perspective and limited knowledge of situations? But we arrogantly believe that our opinions really hold water and are those that really matter. He'd come to us like he does to the Corinthians in verse 41 and basically says, where do you need to repent? Where do you need to repent of bad evaluations and sinful judgments? In verse 21, he basically says, listen, when I come to you, how do you want me to come? Do you want me to come as a pastor or as a policeman? 
Are you going to repent and we can be reconciled? Or am I going to have to come and rebuke you and correct you and maybe even discipline you? And Paul would ask us the same question. Where do we need to repent of bad evaluations and sinful judgments? So a bad evaluation usually arises from premature judgments, from being a know-it-all, and from passing judgments, even though we have limited perspectives. But there is a better evaluation, a better evaluation. So there is hope for us because there is a better evaluation. Here we go. Issues of judgment are tricky. I'll grant you that. We all know that, I think. And you read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, and it teaches us very clearly that Christians are not to judge other Christians. And that would align with the words of Jesus in places like Matthew 7, verse 1, where Jesus says, judge not, lest you not be judged, or judge not that you be not judged, depending on which translation you have. But then if we were to flip forward just a few verses to chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So just almost like a few verses later, having said Christians should not judge other Christians, he now says, no, 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 Christians should judge other Christians. And this would be in line with the words of Jesus in John 7, verse 24, where he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to judge other Christians or are we not supposed to judge other Christians? Is Paul contradicting himself? Is Jesus confused? How are we to make sense of this? Well, let me try. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, he was referring to the Corinthians' uncharitable judgments of him and his fellow gospel co-workers. The Corinthians were calling into question the leadership, the character, and the conduct of Paul and his companions. And they were disregarding these leaders because their ministry didn't fit with the culture around them or their preferences for what leaders should be like. So we've got to be careful how we judge. Now, that's not to say that we should be undiscerning in matters of biblical doctrine and moral behavior in leaders or in others. In fact, the rest of 1 Corinthians, Paul is exhorting this church to make right judgments concerning doctrine and theology and moral and ethical and practical concerns and issues and behaviors in the church. He's going to tell us that when blatant sin is confirmed, Christians must lovingly judge other Christians, but we must not condemn them. Instead, we must out of love call one another to repent. Such judgment is grace. It's an expression of God's loving kindness towards his people for our redemption, for our restoration and for our reconciliation. So the question arises, if we are to judge one another, how then can we issue and make better judgments and better evaluations? Well, I think there's six quick principles right out of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that will help us make better evaluations. Six, all right? First one is this. We're to judge with patience. Look again at verse 5. Instead of making snap premature judgments, Paul exhorts the Corinthians to withhold judgment until the proper time has come. In other words, I think he's exhorting them to be slow to judge. 
Don't be hasty. You don't get prizes for being first in the judgment. Be patient. Give time. Exercise great care and restraint. Don't judge others by the sound bites and the snapshots of their lives that we see. Judge with patience. Secondly, he would say to us, judge with generosity. Judge with generosity. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't be an arrogant know-it-all. Recognize our limited perspective and our limited knowledge and our limited information. And you let that give benefit to the doubt of the person in front of us. Start from a position of assuming the best rather than assuming the worst. Most situations are not as clear cut as we like to think. There are likely more facts and necessary information about a person or about a situation that are beyond our reach or our scope or our knowledge. There's all, there could be a J.K. Rowling behind the Robert Galbraith of the person in front of you. We should remember that. Sometimes there is a J.K. Rowling behind a Robert Galbraith. But there are hidden things that we do not know. There are heart motives that we cannot measure. And so we must not pass judgment on the hidden purposes of the heart of other Christians based on their decisions, actions, perspectives, words and personalities that might concern us if those things are not explicitly and inherently sinful themselves. We must not assume sin on the part of someone else, even if we suspect sin, because our own assessments are tinged with our sin and pride. Probably we can all give a story or tell a story where a misunderstanding or a disagreement with someone has quickly moved from a disagreement or a misunderstanding to a concern that we have for them, to a suspicion that uh, that we have of them, to a judgment we make of them. And so we must be careful that even though we think we might be able to smell smoke and assume that there must be fire somewhere, we could easily be mistaken. Let's remember the words of Jesus in John 7, verse 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And let's begin with patience and generosity. I remember reading an article uh, a number of years ago where a a guy uh, just made this off-the-cuff remark, really, or I I took it as an off-the-cuff remark, but it stuck with me for so long. He said this, the position of the accuser of the brethren has already been filled. Do you really want to wrestle that job away from Satan for yourself? Let's judge with generosity. Thirdly, let's judge with an eternal perspective. Again, in verse 5, Paul encourages us to recognize that it's the last day when Jesus returns that is the proper and appointed time for ultimate judgment. He will come. He will lay bare all things. He'll reveal all things. And he will make then, having taken into account everything that he knows and his knowledge is omniscient, he will pass a definitive, permanent, eternal judgment. That's his job and his prerogative. And therefore, we must resist making judgments of others based on the temporary, on the here and now, on short term, quick fix, shallow results. We should instead use the criteria of an eternal perspective, that we should look for general, long-term, faithful, consistent patterns and trajectories. Judge with patience, 
Judge with generosity. Judge with an eternal perspective in mind. Fourthly, judge with godly criteria. The Corinthians were using worldly wisdom and cultural criteria to judge Paul and his gospel companions. It was all about what they saw, what they felt, what they liked. But in verses 1 and 2, Paul gives criteria that should be used to assess leaders and other Christians. Leaders and, and all Christians are servants and stewards, he tells us. Servants who are tasked with doing the master's bidding and stewards who are entrusted with the master's resources to accomplish the master's goals. And so when we judge others, we should use the criteria, not of fruitfulness, of success, of popularity, of giftedness, of personality, but we should judge on faithfulness. Is this person faithful to the master's message? Is this person faithful to the master's goals? Is this person faithful to the master himself? Is their conduct and their character faithful to the conduct and character of the master? That's the criteria that we should use, faithfulness. And fifth, we should judge with humility. We should judge with humility. In verses six and seven, Paul highlights the perils of Corinthian pride. We've already said this, but the Corinthians thought of themselves as unique and superior and worthy. And they were parading their virtues and their spirituality as if they had earned it and they deserved it. And Paul comes in verse seven and he tells them, you got it wrong. Everything that you have is a gift. What did you have that you did not receive? If you understand the answer to that question, that is a perspective altering death blow to all sinful judgments. What do we have that we did not receive? Everything, all our health, our strength, our opportunities to serve, the abilities and skills that we have, our family, our friends, the material blessings and the possessions that we enjoy, all of these things are just as much a gift of God's grace to us as the very salvation that we enjoy through Christ. What do we have that we did not receive? That should mean that our own self-evaluation should be marked with humility. Everything that I have, I have received through the grace of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I should boast only in him. But it should also affect the way that I judge others and compare myself to them because all that they have received is a gift of God's grace to them. Therefore, there's no need for me to overinflate my view of myself and deflate my view of others because everything that you and I have received is a gift of grace. And we've got to see that behind all of our boasting and our judging is the monster of pride. Where we think we deserve, we earn, we merit. But we've got to take the monster of pride and we've got to slay it at the cross of Jesus Christ where we see all that we truly do deserve the wrath of God and death for our sins. And we see all that Jesus did freely for us, that he did not deserve to purchase salvation. So let's judge with humility, recognizing who we are before a holy God. Let there be gospel humility in our hearts and minds. And then finally, the sixth principle is this. Let's judge with a proper regard for self. This ties in with humility. But in verses three and four, Paul says <coughs> that he's not arrogantly uh, refusing any criticism or assessment of him. He's not saying he's above reproach. He's not claiming sinless perfection. He's simply telling us that there, are a, there is a bigger and higher authority than any individual or human justice system. 
He's reminding us in verses three and four. He says, uh, it's a small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself and I'm not aware of anything against myself, and that, but I'm not therefore acquitted because it's the Lord who judges. He's reminding us that there is a cosmic judge who is the ultimate authority over all of us, who passes a definitive and an eternal judgment on all of us. It's his job and his prerogative to judge and then to bestow appropriate praise and reward. And any human judgment is irrelevant in comparison to his cosmic eternal evaluation. And in fact, to pass a bad evaluation on God's people is massively presumptuous and it is really contending with God for supremacy. But then he continues in verses 18 to 30 to contrast the Corinthians' misguided view of the Christian life with his own experience of the Christian life. And he does this so that we might have proper regard for ourselves. So he says, look, you Corinthians, you think you're all rich and full and kings and reigning and wise and strong and worthy. But we, as apostles, we know we're fools for Christ. We're like men sentenced to death in a gladiatorial arena. We have a catalogue of humiliation and hardship that we've had to endure. And he draws this contrast to imply a question. Which of us looks more like Jesus? You Corinthians who are all big up yourself and puffed up? Or us apostles who are walking the road and the path of suffering in the footsteps of Jesus Christ? It's a searching question, but it's not hard to answer. Paul is identifying the upside down nature and scandal of the gospel, of the message of the cross, of the wisdom and power of God. And when we experience and enjoy and understand the gospel, it should produce proper regard for oneself. It should produce a culture of grace. It should produce a culture of humility and it should produce submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. So judge with patience, judge with generosity, judge with an eternal perspective, judge with godly criteria, judge with humility, and judge with proper regard for self. Let's judge as Christ has judged us. Let's make charitable judgments of others in a desire to honour Christ by imitating his mercy and kindness towards us. You know, the reality is because of our past sins, because of our present sin, because of our future sins, God has the right to judge every single one of us with a lethal and an eternal criticism that leads to hell. And yet he is merciful, he is kind, he is patient, he's generous, he's loving. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. And because of Jesus Christ, God always looks for the best in us. And if that's how he treats us, we should be eager to honour him by doing the same towards others. So if you struggle with a critical spirit, if you are in the habit of making bad evaluations of others, remember God's goodness and grace to you and his power to change you. Repent of your sin and let's cultivate a desire to bring him praise by imitating his kindness and mercy to us. Let's pray. Lord, help us to judge others rightly as we would want them to judge us, charitably, not critically, privately, not publicly, 
gently, not harshly, in humility, not pride. Help us to believe the best about others until facts prove otherwise. Help us to assume nothing and to seek all sides of the story. And help us to judge no one until we've removed the log from our own eye. And may we never bring only the law to find fault and condemnation. But help us always to bring the glorious good news of the gospel into the situations and the judgments that we make. To give hope and deliverance as you, our judge and our saviour and our friend, have so graciously done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.